Well, welcome back to The Pew, everybody. I am your host, John Edwards, and I'm excited to bring you another one of these bonus episodes of Just a Guy in the Pew. If you've been keeping up with what we've been doing lately, you know we've had on some of our favorite Catholic speakers and presenters and religious in the church, and today is no different. I'm excited to bring on a friend of mine. He's a Catholic author, and he runs Catholic Missionary Disciples, too. His name is Marcel Lejeune, and I'm going to tell you here just a little bit about him before I bring him up. Marcel, Marcel is the president and founder of Catholic Missionary Disciples. He's, it's an organization that coaches Catholic leaders to become evangelists and pioneers of the new evangelization and parish renewal. Marcel holds a Master's of Theological Studies uh, with a specification in pastor, uh, pastoral work. He is an international Catholic speaker and evangelist and an award-winning author of several books, including The Contagious Catholic. So I'm excited to have him with us here today. And without further ado, I'm going to bring up my friend Marcel as you. Marcel, how you doing? I'm still bald. <laughs> so am I. I like you so much. I had to. I had to copy the image. <laughs> yeah, actually, and you know that razor you told me about the other day. I put it on my wife's uh, Christmas list because she's always looking for little things to buy me. So I'm going to get one of those for Christmas. I'll tell you what, they're fun, man. They save a lot of time. So. <laughs> Well, Marcel, it's so good to have you, man. It's been a long time since that car ride in Philadelphia together. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, yeah it's been a couple of years. I know you've, you, you're doing a lot of great things for the church, and that's what I wanted to talk about today. You know, there's a lot of guys that write into the podcast all the time, send emails, all this thing, all those things about the struggles they have in evangelization. And you know, I've looked at your blogs and the posts that you send out, and and just the work you're doing. And you go about this in a different way than, than a lot of other people in the church. Um, it, you have an understanding that, I, that really has drawn me to uh, watch what you're doing more and more because you're sort of basing evangelization really on the way that Christ did and, and looking at ways that uh, may not be working in the church right now and speaking out boldly about it and calling people to uh, consider these, these different ways. So I want to talk about that a little bit today and I want to start off with just asking you, first of all, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, it means that we decide to drop our nets on the Sea of Galilee, uh, our figurative Sea of Galilee for ourselves, sure. right? Uh, just like the early apostles, you know, the fishermen who are literally fishing on the Sea of Galilee, they've already had a run in with Jesus or one or two, you know, they know who he is. They know he's some new rabbi who's preaching some new, pretty authoritative stuff. Uh, Andrew's already pretty much convinced this guy's, you know, the Messiah. And here comes Jesus walking on the shore. Sea of Galilee says to Peter and Andrew and James and John, drop your nets, come and follow me. And they had to make a decision. And that's mm -hmm. the decision that every human being who wants to be a disciple, that is a follower, has to make. And to follow Jesus Christ, to be his disciple, takes a choice. Now that choice could take decades to make. It could be slow plotting, right? It could be like, yeah, I'm gonna kind And it's not a one and done thing, right? We're not yeah. Protestants once saved, always saved. We are people who have to make that choice though. It's explicit that there is a choice. I choose to follow Jesus, to put him at the center of my life, to make him my Lord and savior, to say today, once again, if we've already done it, I choose Jesus <clears throat> and Following Jesus and being his disciple and putting him at the center of your life ch should change things, right? There should be a transformation. We see it in, in his disciples. Now, that doesn't mean we can't fall away. Uh, Judas decided he was going to follow Jesus for three years and ended up, you know, betraying him and walking away and hanging himself. I mean, it's a pretty sad story. But here we have a choice today. 
everybody's got a choice. Do I respond to the call of Jesus Christ, either for the first time or once again, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Um, and and it's as simple as that. It, to, to be a disciple is to make a choice. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, it's a great point. It's something you have to remind yourself every day. And I think sometimes, you know, guys like us that are in ministry, sometimes people can look at us and look like we've just got an easy button where you wake up every day and you're just following Jesus. But it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's a decision we have to make every day. Every day when I wake up, I hit my knees yeah. and I'm like, Lord, I'm selfish, right? And, 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 I, and a lot of times I want to just do my own thing. But Lord, I give you my life, right? I give you my life today. And, and, and I thank you for waking me up and giving me a chance to serve you today and help me align my will to yours. Right. And yeah. that's really what you're talking about is making that active choice every day. Um, you know, I think when we go about evangelization today, obviously the church is, the numbers are dropping at church and, and this is pre pandemic and all that. So let's just take that out of the, out of the conversation. Just in general, we know that there's less and less people going to the church. The, the, the most yeah. popular religion in the world today is nuns. And I'm not talking about the ones with the habits I'm talking about N O N E S. But what's different? Like when you look at evangelization today and you look at the success that Jesus had, right? All of a sudden he converted these people, really the first 12 men and women that were walking with him. And then they went out and changed the world. So what was different about the way that Jesus evangelized and the way that we go about it today in the church? Why are we not seeing success in evangelization the way that he did? Well, there's a lot of different paths I could go down here. Um, sure. I'm going to give you some bad news, some... Uh, neutral news and then some good news. Okay, so the bad news. The bad news is you're right, the church is in decline in the West. Okay, that's sure. the first thing we have to clarify in the West. Sure. I mean, if you were to go to uh, parts of Asia or Africa, the church is yeah. booming. In fact, globally, every year we add millions of Catholics to the you know, name Catholic. But in the West, we're in a post Christian society, uh, in a place where people think they know all about Jesus and Catholicism and what it means to be a Christian. And they've rejected what, that idea of it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they've rejected the morality of the church that we propose about the, what the human person is, in fact. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you look at society, I think it's easy for us to moan about the fact that the culture right now is calling evil good and is calling good evil. It is turned morality up, up, upside its head. But the church itself here, so that's the bad news, right? I mean, for every one Catholic in the United States who joins the church, we have six who leave. The sad fact is we are a church in, in rapid decline and have been for generations, but are only realizing it basically within the last 10 years. Yeah. And only now responding in a way that is reactive, not proactive. And in most places, what this what has happened is we're making minor little shifts, right? Minor little changes, minor little this and that. And the fact of the matter is, if we wanted to do minor shifts in, in our strategy and what we're doing, we would have had to do it about 100 years ago to actually get to where we need to go. Yeah. Now, in today's culture, if we really want to go and reach the lost, if we really want to renew the church, it's going to take radical change, not just minor little shifts. Now, that's the bad news. Neutral news is this. Um, there are really good things that are happening in the church and are, in fact, you know, kind of helping things to, to in pockets. And when I say this is kind of neutral news, what, what we need to understand is what happened in the church historically. 
Remember that most people who have come to this country, uh, this is a, a young country. The United States is a young country in, in the grand scheme of things, right? And we are a country of immigration where people came from France and Poland and uh, Japan and Africa and all over the world to come here, right? But the Catholics who came here primarily came from European countries and from South America. These people came with their own understandings of Catholicism and were at the beginnings of the United States and even beforehand considered papists and there was a lot of anti-Catholicism. So what they did is they would come over here with their different language, their different culture, their different food, their different beliefs and be kept at arm's length and sometimes even persecuted by those who were running and leading the country. So what we did is we huddled. We huddled in parishes. That's what the, you know, right? And that's why you go to a place like Chicago or New York or even in my local yeah. town where you're going to have, and in, in, in here in town, we've got the, the three oldest parishes in one town in Bryan, Texas, are, there's a, a Sicilian parish made up of mainly Sicilian immigrants, a Hispanic parish from people from Mexico and South and Central America, and an everybody else parish, <laughs> where yeah. got, I call it the good old boy parish, right? Where everybody sure. else goes. And that's in Bryan, and I live in College Station, which is a sister city. So you've got these parishes, they've been around for, you know, some of them over hundreds of years, you know, it's like 120 or 30 years. Here, you've got these long-term things where people are huddling there. And the reason this is important to understand is this. What we did is we went to a parochial or parish model of ministry and evangelization, where we provided a safe place where people who were Catholic could come over and assimilate into society. And assimilate, we did. Mm -hmm. Fast forward into the 1950s, 60s, 70s, Catholics were becoming accepted as Americans. And that was a goal of a lot of Catholics. And now fast forward to today, where we have a majority of people on the Supreme Court are identified Catholic. Like a third of you know representatives and senators or a quarter or something like that are, you know, are self-identified Catholic. But the problem is, Many of them, even in our leadership positions, don't go to church, don't believe, are not disciples. So what we've done is we've accepted identity of we're Americans and we've left our Catholicism as radical disciples of Jesus Christ behind. And what, what we did there in large measure was we stopped evangelizing the people outside of our parishes, but we rather just opened our doors and anybody who came, those are the people we would minister to. And the way we ministered to them was actually taken from the 1500s, which was post-Reformation. Um, and what we did was we sat little kids in classrooms and up until the time they became adults and we taught them content of the faith. We taught them the catechism. We taught them the doctrines of the church. And this was how the church post-Reformation thought this is how we're gonna keep Catholics from becoming Protestantism in Europe, right? Sure. That's the model we're still doing today. We put the majority of time, effort, money outside of the sacramental stuff into classroom formation of kids in parishes. And we call it evangelization and think that's enough to inoculate people. And it's not. It hasn't been for generations. And then the unfortunate thing is that's that's what we call the work of ministry and Catholicism. OK, now. That doesn't work. It doesn't work for a majority of people. Now, it can work in the sense of, OK, I understand this and then I choose this is the truth and I want to do that. But it's not enough for most people nowadays. And the reason why is because Jesus didn't just go out there and say, believe certain things about the Catholic Church. He said, come and follow me. Yeah. Believe in me as a person, as a real life person. And this is the difference. We have to make this choice that we want to have this friendship, 
this spiritual union, or as the church calls it, communion with our God. And that comes through faith, hope, and love in this choice of following. And from there, somebody is going to want to know about the one they choose to love and to believe in and to hope in, right? I mean, if I love and I follow, uh, you know, some great leader, I'm going to want to know all about them. If I fall in love with my wife, I want to know about her. The content of the faith, now you're going to have to give some kind of information for somebody to make a choice. I want to follow Jesus Christ sure. or you know, a Catholic, right? There's a, their catechesis in, in its kind of basic form starts pre-conversion. But mm-hmm. post-conversion is where real catech- catechetical, catechetical model should enter in, right? The catechesis should really get in-depth at that point. But we flipped it on its head. And we've assumed people already love and follow and believe in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we're just going to teach this stuff. And and what we've done is we haven't evangelized people to the point of conversion. And that's the error. So the good news is this. we got an opportunity. We can actually change this. We can. can if we start to operate differently. Yeah, I could agree with you more. No, that's awesome, man. (laughs) And and by the way, I could literally do this for two hours where I just talk about this. Um, I know. You know I probably could. Uh, Oh, no, I love it. I love it. I'm like, thank you for coming, everybody. This was amazing. (laughs) But but no, thank you, Marcel. That's like a um, basic Christian proclamation of the good news, a cultural assessment, a historical understanding of things. And and (laughs) so we could break all that stuff down, right? I mean, we could go deeper into any of those issues. Right. Sure. But what a great overview for somebody that may not have understood, you know, just the process of what the church has gone through here in the States. I think it's wonderful. And I could agree with you more. You know, we were talking before we came on here about the men's group that I started in my parish. And that's really what launched this ministry that I'm in now and everything. And people looked at it from the beginning of what's different about that group. And the question Mm -hmm. I would get a lot is when are you catechizing them? And, you know, I was a a new, uh, a 10 year Catholic, but really a new Catholic in my reversion uh, and actually in my studies. And so I just told them we're we're giving people a place where they can be real and authentic and where they can meet each other and they can they can share. And then through that and the things that we're looking at, they're learning about Jesus. Their hearts are turning towards him. And then they're saying, I want to become Catholic. We had nine guys become Catholic. And then after that, the catechesis started. Right. They started asking Mm -hmm. more questions. You know, I often say Jesus didn't walk up to Matthew and say, hey, memorize these 617 Levitical laws and then come follow me if you're still into it. Right. Now, yeah. like you said, he said, come and follow me. So, you know, you said something interesting when you were talking about the politicians and, you know, all these Catholics we have all over the country. And you mentioned they aren't true disciples. What should mm-hmm. true discipleship look like? Yeah. Well, first of all, it looks like, OK, I do choose to give Jesus Christ my life and I do it again and again and again. Um, the phrase I like to use, and I stole this from somebody smarter than me, is that uh, <laughs> God has no grandchildren. Okay. Okay. Let's stop and think about that for a second. I want to think about just because I have chosen to follow Jesus Christ does not mean my children will. No matter what I do, I could be the best Catholic father, the best evangelist, the best, you know, most informed, loving, kind person, and my kid still has free will. I hate free will of other people, right? <laughs> that kid will not be saved because I believe or their mom believes or anything. They will only be saved if they believe. Right. Once they reach the age of being able to do that themselves, the Catholic Church says salvation in a sense is in your hands. Now, I, I want to make sure we everybody knows that you can't earn your way to heaven. Okay, this is all grace right. given, right? God always acts first. This is not magic. 
This is this is not okay. You know, boom, zap. Just because I get my sacraments, I'm saved either, though. So it's a it's a response. God has given the ability, though. He's placed the actual potential is the language that JP2 uses in baptismal graces. The potential to be a saint, the potential mm -hmm. to go to heaven, the potential is given in that grace. Now I have to in a sense, choose it so that it can be effective in my life and actually happen, right? It's it's almost like the light switch is turned on, but the electricity's already run, the breaker's already gone, all you gotta, you know, the switch is, that's gonna change yeah. everything, though. That turns on the lights, and that means I have these opportunities, okay? So God has no grandchildren. Everybody has to choose this for themselves, and this goes for everybody. You can't accidentally be a disciple. Right. I'll say that again. You can't accidentally be a follower of Jesus Christ. And and, and so some some guys might be listening right now saying, well, I, I don't know if I've ever explicitly chosen Jesus. I'm, okay, stop this video right now. J literally just stop it and ask Jesus to forgive you your sins and tell him that you believe in him in, in your own words. You don't need some formula. You don't, it's not magic again. Just have a conversation with Jesus. If this is what you want, repent and choose to believe. And then make an act of faith in some way. Go and look up the baptismal promises that the Catholic Church has. Go and pray the creed. Just make up your own prayer. Do something to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. Literally, this is your turning on the lights. Okay, folks? It's not anything. And, it, and, and here's the thing. It doesn't change how we feel. It's literally an act of the will to say, I believe, right? In response to what has been revealed to me. I believe Jesus Christ walked this earth. He's the savior of the world. And he wants to come and bring me to heaven with him. And he wants me to be a saint. And he wants me to glorify his name. And he wants me to bring as many other people with him, uh, with me to heaven as I possibly can. If I choose that today, guess what? Boom, I'm a disciple, okay? The unfortunate thing is we haven't made that explicit enough in Catholicism. So that's why we have a lot of folks walking around a majority of people who even go and are just a guy in a pew, John, yeah. <laughs> just a, you know, somebody warming a pew, a majority of those people going to mass have never done this and are not disciples. That is not a put down of them. That is not a statement, hey, you can't go to heaven. It's a statement, though, you haven't made a choice. And guess what? We have a lot of work to do in our evangelization as Catholics, right? Even in yeah. our own pews. Well, and often what you're saying, too, when you're saying like, say i'm sorry ask for jesus's forgiveness things like that a lot of times catholics will say well that sounds protestant right that's too mm -hmm. protestant but but at the core of convert i mean that's that's part of a core part of the conversion and that was what yeah. i was going to ask you is like what is that what does that process of conversion look like because oftentimes like even if you say personal relationship with jesus in the catholic church people yeah. go nope nope that's a that's a protestant thing we're we're here for rituals and and the things mm -hmm. we're supposed to do and so many people that are guys in the pew, like you said, are there because they their wife browbeat them into going, or because my parents did, or I have children, and if I go here, at least maybe they'll have some sense of morality, you know. Mm -hmm. But how do we how do we start that process of conversion, and what should that look like? Well, that's a big question. Um, for as many people who are walking the earth, uh, are as many different ways it can look. Yeah. And, and I say that not in any kind of like silliness, but it's true. I mean, everybody's story is different, right? Your story is really different than my story. And that's OK. Sure. And some of us are going to have those big moments where we're like St. Paul and we get struck down and blinded and we're going to hear a voice from heaven. <laughs> but most people don't. 
most people are going to have some like small movement in their heart, in their in their emotions or mind or intellect or whatever it might be. Some people are going to have to go through a crisis. Some people are going to just have be driving down the road. I heard a story yesterday, a guy driving down the road and he was reflecting on what he'd heard in a sermon and he and he stopped and he said, that is true. And he started weeping. I mean, mm -hmm. but you may not have that emotional response. It may be that is true. Huh? I should believe in this. You know, and it might not be an emotional thing, right? It might just sure. be like a huh. Or it could be a, you know what? It took me 10, 10 years of wrestling with Jesus Christ and the truth of these things and kind of rejecting, 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 and eh, maybe no rejecting. And then finally I said, yeah, okay, I'll try it. That's conversion if you choose it, right? I'm going to try yeah. it. So, but it's also not just dabbling or dancing around it. It's got to be something where you actually make a choice. It's not just, well, I choose to go to church. That's, that's not following Jesus. I want to be careful here. Yeah. If you choose to get up and go to mass, that's a good thing. But it's not discipleship in, in mm. its fullness. If I choose to say a prayer, that's a good thing. But it's not discipleship in its fullness. It has to be done. I choose to follow Jesus to put him at the center of my life. Um, and in some way, you can kind of get to that point by doing those things, maybe, but not necessarily explicitly. And that's where the difference right. comes in. Here, I'll, I'll give you just one example. Sure. I've heard it, we've gotten better in the last 10 or 15 years of, of hearing the gospel, the kerygma, which is the basic core message that Jesus Christ has come to save us from our sins and that our response needs to be done. And I've heard more and more priests and deacons and bishops preaching the gospel message from the pulpit, right? You hear it in mass a little bit more and a little bit more in homilies, and I'm glad that's happening. But here's what they do. They preach the gospel and then they stop. It's like, mm. so, and then they say, you can have this too, or this can, you can follow Jesus. And then they go and sit down and the homilies over and I'm going, no, father, no, <laughs> father, you didn't tell them what to do. Because tell them how. almost yeah. Every, yeah because most Catholics don't know what to do at that point. You got to go hold somebody's hand and say, go do this or try this out. Here's what I want you to do. Give them something because this is the issue is we have, again, without being explicit. And, and this argument that it's Protestant is to me is, is almost just, it's, this is really an American understanding of things. Okay. Because we have had these evangelical Protestants in America. Folks, for goodness sake, how do you think St. Francis Xavier converted thousands and tens of thousands of people? How do you think, you know, St. John Vianney had such fruitfulness? How do you think these great, how do you think Mother Teresa made so many converts and started planting, you know, churches had to be planted in India? Look, the fact of the matter is evangelization and discipleship go hand in hand with we've got to have this kind of personalism. Now, we're not saved just by ourselves either okay this is also a relationship in the church where we become members of the body of christ united to one another right this isn't just me and jesus by myself personalism and, and it's neat so we got to be careful about like saying catholicism is defined by not being protestant sure now, protestantism is literally defined as not catholic okay mm -hmm. But Catholicism is not defined by that. So if we share some aspects of it, and in fact, where they've been living it out a little bit better than Christianity, a little bit better than us, then let it be just a, a, a wake up call that we need to do things a little bit better. And in the in terms of the personal relationship, or you could call it friendship, or you could mm -hmm. call it communion, that's the language of the church, and it's always used it. It actually goes deeper than just personal relationship. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. I can have a personal relationship with my neighbor and not give them my heart. Mm-hmm. A, a spiritual friendship or communion with my neighbor is very different, isn't it? And that's what we're called yeah. to have with Jesus. So it starts with a personal relationship, but that's not where it ends. Okay. Sure. So anyway, the, the point being is it might sound Protestant, but it's actually deeper than Protestantism. And it might feel a little bit like Protestantism or evangelical Protestantism, but it's okay because maybe they've got something to teach us. Yeah. Well, and, it, and it's, it's, it's so funny because one thing that we have that Protestants don't obviously is the sacraments. And yeah. when you look at the sacraments and you say like the Eucharist, just in, you know, just for an example, God loves you so much. He wants to be one with you. He wants you to take him into your body. It doesn't get any more personal than that. It, confession. God wants you to know so badly that you're forgiven that he puts someone in a room with you to physically tell you on his behalf, right? In the persona mm-hmm. Christi. And so you look at those things and you go, wait, how could you not think this is a personal thing that God wants every bit of you and wants you to know every bit of him. And it, so it's just, it's something that I always hear and I'm going, man, this is, this is where we don't get it, you know, as a church mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. But, you know, you brought up relationships several times and we've talked about conversion some I think this is also where uh, we see a lot of problems in the church, too, is we want to go and tell everybody we have good news. We have something that's happened in our lives and we want to go convert somebody immediately and start telling them, if you don't go, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to go to hell. Or if you're not living your life this way, you know, you're, you're going to face eternal consequences. What role does relationship play in conversion? Because a lot of times we skip all that, right? We don't. We don't earn yeah. the right in someone's life to speak to them about Jesus. It, it, you know, you wouldn't walk up to somebody and say, how much money do you have in your bank account? But so many of us feel so freely to walk up and say, what's your, what's your life like with Jesus? So what is, yeah. where does relationship fall into the conversion process? Well, I, quite honestly, John, I wish more people had the, the moxie, I guess you could say, the courage to be walking up to people and talking about Jesus. Just, you know, and and let me put it this way. There's this story uh, I recently heard about this man who he was one of these street evangelists and he was saying things like, you know, somebody passed by and he said, do you have Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior? He wasn't Catholic, you know, but, you know, um, you know, if you died tonight, would you be saved? And some other Christian came up to him and said, well, why are you asking these kind of questions? He says, because I'm evangelizing. He goes, that's important. We're supposed to evangelize. And the man says, well, I agree. He says, well, tell me how you evangelize. He says, well, I really don't. He goes, well, I, I prefer the way I evangelize to you not doing it. Now, so the first step is not just to worry about messing it up. The first step is to go and do it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'd rather somebody I'd rather somebody be on the street corner saying, you know, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior than never talking about Jesus. Sure. Right? It's better. It's better for their own soul and it's better for the souls that might hear them because at least Jesus is being proclaimed, even if it's not effective or the best way to do it. Now, with that being said, so let's be let's be careful because most people, the vast, vast majority of Christians, Catholic or not, are not talking about Jesus Christ to people they know or don't know. Sure. Um, they're not in the face. So, yeah, that's not the way necessarily we need to do it. Right. We earn we earn the right to be heard. We earn people's trust by by being a friend. Yeah. Look, if if every Catholic on this planet had two more friends who didn't know Jesus and started talking about him, we would change the world within a couple of generations. Hmm. But the, the fact of the matter is that most Catholics don't talk about their faith. And in many of them, the good disciples 
they've left the friends who are not Catholic, left the friends who are not disciples, left the family members behind because it's too awkward or they don't have anything in common with them or they're living a lifestyle that's so far from God. The fact of the matter is the person who's the addict, the person who is, um, you know, got a lot of sexual issues, the person who is living a gay lifestyle, the person who is a politician in Washington, D.C. that says they're a Christian but never goes to church. Those people need good Christian, especially Catholic disciples in their lives to be able to invest in them with a friendship that comes before we ever talk about the depth of Jesus Christ and what a relationship with him looks like or the eternal consequences that could come from that. OK, so when we get to that point, the yeah, we got to explicitly start talking about Jesus, but we got to also be a little bit savvy in how we're going to do that. Right. You don't just mm -hmm. want to blurt it out. You want to be able to learn how to turn a conversation to it. You want to learn how to ask big questions. You know, um, you want to start to to get what, what do people like to talk about, John? They like to talk about themselves. I mean, you ask yep. me questions about me, I'm going to start talking about myself, right? So people yep. say, especially if you can find something somebody's passionate about. So I actually even ask people, what are you passionate about? Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's before I ever talk about Jesus Christ generally, especially if there's going to be an ongoing relationship. You know, I've got a neighbor who, uh, a literal neighbor lives, you know, next door, um, who I'm investing time with um, because he's a good guy and he's, he's, fun to be around. And he goes to church sometimes, you know, and he's not a bad guy, but I know he probably, Jesus Christ wants more with him. Yeah. But until I get to the point of being able to say, you know what, well, I know you well, and you know me well, and we trust each other. And there's more into that relationship. I'm not going to be dropping bombs on him. I mean, that sure. would push him away. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I think that's where we mess up is so many times we go right at that if we're going at it at all to your point yeah and yeah. and it's it's just crazy well let me ask you this like comfort how big mm -hmm. of an obstacle to evangelization is comfort on both sides right you've you've got I, I hear all the time i want to talk to people about my faith but i'm not comfortable i'm scared i'm going to be rejected i might lose mm -hmm. friends i might and the lord told us right you're going to be persecuted because i was persecuted the world will hate you because they hated, it hated me so we have to understand some of that to start with that jesus told us about this but comfort i think for a lot of people is is i don't want to lose a friend i don't want to lose a relationship i I don't think I know my faith enough. But then also on the other side of it, you have people that are approached that are not comfortable with the subject as well. Yeah. You know, what do you think about that? And what role does comfort play as an obstacle in all of that? First of all, it's just an excuse. And let's call it that. And yeah. if you're afraid you're going to lose a friend in this life, wouldn't it be worse if you lost them for eternity? Amen. Um, and I want, you know what? That's really tweetable. I should probably go tweet that right now. <laughs> you take a break if you need to. <laughs> Stop. Go tweet it. You just guys, you guys wait right there. Um, yeah. But seriously, I mean, think about that. It's, if we do believe there's eternal consequences to that, um, you know, we got to, we, if there is a heaven and hell and people might go to one and not the other, folks, what could be more important? I don't care if they're your fishing buddy. I don't yeah. give a crap if they like bourbon like I do. and want to. You know, it doesn't matter ultimately if they go to hell. Amen. You lost them for eternity, and that's your family, your friend, and other things. What could be more important? And if you're afraid of that, then take that to the Lord. Look, there are times I don't want to evangelize, man. I don't feel <laughs> like it. I'm tired. I'm in a bad mood. You know what? That person's annoying me. I've argued with God about this stuff, John. I mean, I, uh, yeah, me I've been too. 
book. I mean, I'm just sitting there going, no, not today, Jesus. And he's like, whack, you know, <laughs> going to slap me upside the head. The fact is, you know, we all have barriers and excuses and problems and issues and insufficiencies. That's because it's not about you. Yeah. And we got to get over ourselves. That's pride. Pride's either thinking too much of ourselves or too little of ourselves. Let me tell you who you are. You are a son of God if you're a man watching this. You have been made to be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ as much as possible so that when you get to heaven, you can go to the highest house in heaven that you are made for so that you can give glory and honor to your God who has made you for mission. And the fact of the matter is that your job while you're on this earth is to get as many people to heaven with you as possible. And if you're not doing that, then you're not bringing glory to your God, nor honor to your name, and you're not growing in your own sainthood. So get off your duff and go do it. Make mistakes and learn from them. Go and pray. Stop being a pansy and start being a man and step up to the fact that Jesus Christ has called you to this because he has got something perfectly made where only you have this mission to those people in your life that nobody else can replace. And the fact is that it's God doing the heavy lifting anyway. God's the one who's going to change yep. hearts. But he waits on your yes, just like he waited for the yes of Joseph to get Jesus and go to Egypt to protect him, just like he waited for Joseph's yes to come back to the to the uh, Palestine so that Jesus could be raised there. He waits on human beings to do divine things. And he's waiting on you to do a divine thing in somebody else's heart. And if that's the case, don't make him wait anymore. That's what Amen. I'd have to say to that. Amen. Sorry, I got a little preachy. But no, here, I like it. Bring it, brother. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't feel that coming on, but it just happened. So here's the problem. Sure. I have this gift. It's a charism of the Holy Spirit. Charism is a gift of the spirit given for the other people, not for yourself. Okay, here's Amen. here's the charism of that I've got. I've got a couple. Everybody's got some. You got to discern these. But there's several that I have, and one of my is prophecy. Prophecy is telling the people of God what God wants them to hear. Telling people what God wants them to hear. And sometimes people don't like me because God will work through me, and they get. Now he doesn't work through me all the time. It's not like when I, you sure. know, tell my wife, well, it's you know. So-and-so's night to do the dishes like that's prophetic or something like God speaking. <laughs> no, but sometimes that happens. And I maybe that was just an exercise of the gift of prophecy. And if you guys needed to hear that, then let's praise the Lord and let's go do something about it. Well, I think that's an example of what you were talking about earlier is not worrying about all that stuff and just preaching truth. And I think that's what's missing in a lot of our lives right now is just refusing to preach the truth. So thank you for that. Now, you mentioned the kerygma earlier. I think this mm -hmm. is another issue we see with people that, uh, are not successful in evangelizing others the way that they think they might be when they open their mouth mm -hmm. to talk about Jesus. I think that a lot of us don't know how to express the story, right? The story mm -hmm. of the gospel from front to end, from Adam and Eve all the way to uh, to Jesus in the New Testament and beyond. Uh, and there's simple steps, right? And I'm sure you can explain these really quickly of just what we should be able to say about the mm -hmm. process of the fall to salvation through Jesus Christ. So will you take us through that just real quickly? Yeah, and, and first of all, if you want to get better at this, <clears throat> there's a couple of resources I point you guys to. Okay, the first one's the book that he meant, that uh, John had mentioned earlier, The Contagious yeah. Catholic. It has a chapter on the kerygma. Um, and second of all, I'm... Catholic Missionary Disciples, the apostolate that I have, is launching on October 1st mm. a, a new online portal which is going to train people on how to better evangelize. 
Okay. Awesome. So we work with Catholic leaders for the last four years or so. I do Catholic coaching. And what I learned, John, is that even our bishops and our priests are not real effective at preaching the charisma of giving their testimony, of learning to understand where somebody is spiritually, of how to respond to them appropriately. In other words, they don't have the proper pastoral skills that it takes to be a great evangelist, disciple maker, and then a formator of disciples so that they can go into mission too. So I've been doing this with Catholic leaders, and now a lot of people have been asking for years, how do we do this? So uh, uh, I don't know when this is coming out, this video, but you can go to CatholicMissionaryDisciples.com because I've got another website. I'm not going to poke it too early because I don't want to give sure. it up. Anyway, um, Catholic Missionary Disciples, and then it'll poke you to the other portal. But we walk through this stuff detailed, and we we mm -hmm. part of what I do is I talk about how you do this organically. You don't want to just have here are your five points and you make sure you hear that and here are the sure. three Bible verses you should throw in. You want to, you want to make it natural, like a part of the conversation. So I've had conversations with literally on planes with family members, with people that I've met with the guy that needs to hear it with somebody who comes up and asks me a question after talk. And they say things like, you know, why should, well, here's what I believe. Okay. I believe that there's a God that made us for relationship with his very self that he made us for him. He didn't need us. He didn't have need of us. He's perfect. But he made us because he's he loves us. And he made us out of love, for love, to be loved. In his own image and likeness, he created us. And he, he put us on this earth. But unfortunately, humans have this tendency to sin. And that's what happened in the garden, right? We, we chose not God. We chose not perfection. We chose not to love. And I know that every human being has had a moment where they chose not to love and they hurt somebody else. That's yeah. sin. And when we sin, there are consequences, right? It causes a break, right? When I sin against you, John, it hurts you. It causes mm -hmm. a break in the relationship. And that happened to a perfect being who is perfectly good, God himself, when Adam and Eve chose to sin. It broke the relationship because it was against a perfect person, God. Mm -hmm. And that had that had consequences for Adam and Eve that they did not foresee. And that is they were separated by God. You can imagine that there's this huge chasm. St. Catherine of Siena calls it a river of sin and death. That's, what, that's the image she used in her mystical understanding of it. A river of sin and death that is so wide and so powerful and the river runs so swift that you can't build a bridge over it and you can't get a boat across. In other words, humans are stranded on the other side of the river of sin and death from God who stands on the other shore. And while they long for that relationship, they cannot fix the relationship themselves. This is because it takes an infinite being to fix this problem that humans are limited and can't fix. But it takes yeah. a human being to repent and repair the damage because they're the ones who wronged it. Justice demands that. So what happened? God doesn't leave us orphans. God doesn't leave us in this state of sin and death. He sends his only son, Jesus Christ, who is both God and man, man who can pay the price that justice demands, but God who is infinitely powerful, who can cross this. And what happens is that by his life, his death and his resurrection, he takes his cross, that instrument of his death, and he lays it across this river of sin and death so that we have a pathway, a bridge, St. Catherine calls the cross, that we can go now to Jesus Christ. But the choice is yours. Do I want that relationship with him? Do I want that? And Jesus awaits us. The Father awaits us to be reconciled to him by saying we're sorry, by believing in his son, Jesus Christ, and by following him and becoming a member of his church. 
that's the good news. Now, the opportunity here is for everybody. And I, I literally want to stop and say a prayer with people, because if you've never said yes to this, then let's not just talk about the kerygma, which has just now been proclaimed, but let's respond to the kerygma. So let's say a prayer. Sure. In the Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. And if you feel called and you're watching this right now, just repeat in your heart after me, Lord, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you that you are Messiah and Lord. I am sorry for my sins. I thank you for the fact that you've come to rescue me from sin and death. And I believe that you are God. I believe that you are Savior. I believe that you are Lord. And so in the repentance of my sins, Lord, I'm sorry. And I choose to believe and to follow you. I don't know what that might look like right now. And I, whether it's for the first time or for the millionth time, I choose to follow you this day. And I give you my life and my heart. And I love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. That wasn't that hard, was it? But, no. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a matter of let's get comfortable talking about that. And, and I've, I've had Catholic leaders who I'm coaching and training, and they say, Marcel, I don't, I don't know if I'm a disciple. And I just ask them, do you want to be? Yeah. And we, you know, they're disciples being made out there, friends. It's just a matter of us offering the opportunity. Yeah, and it's it's just amazing. You have this love in your heart for Christ. It just it comes out of you more. So obviously you wouldn't be doing what you're doing if you didn't. And I think that's what's so great about the kerygma is when we share it from our own experiences and the way that we understand it with the, that it's love. It's not just black words mm -hmm. on a white page. It's not another history book. It's a God that loved you so much that he gave up the one thing that meant the most yep. to him for you. And he would have done it if it was only you that were existing on this right. planet. And I think yeah. we don't understand that. A lot of times we read John 3.16 is for God so loved everybody else that he gave his mm -hmm. only begotten son instead of me. And so... God bless you for doing that and for the prayer there and everything else because you're, you're really showing people what it means to talk about Jesus or to proclaim Jesus, to proclaim what you know to be true and the love that you have for him. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you mentioned some of these uh, leaders in the church, and I'm sure that surprises some people when they hear, what do you mean a bishop doesn't, doesn't want to share the kerygma or doesn't know how to properly share a testimony or something like that? It, it's probably eye-opening to some folks, but it probably yeah. makes sense as to why we're in the place we're in right now in some areas. Yeah. Um, how big of a role is spiritual mentorship? How much of a role does that play in all of this? Because you're basically saying that you're mentoring these these folks. And yes, they're bishops mm -hmm. and you're not, but you have a charism and a gift, as you said, and you're helping these people to understand that. Much like Paul did to Timothy or to Titus or to Mark or any of the other ones. Can you talk about how important that is in our role? And as a regular everyday person to to pass on what we've learned and, and to help other people get to the place where maybe we are. And we probably have someone that's helping us get to the place that they are. Yeah. Yeah. So all of us need somebody in front of us, beside us and behind us. Um, mm -hmm. to, to have proper understanding of relationships. Like right now, I've got uh, several friends who are beside me and walking with me who are mature disciples who help hold me accountable. I've got my wife who's beside me and walking with me. Um, I've got my spiritual director, and then I also have a confessor who are in front of me right now who mentor me, who guide me. Um, I've got a couple of professional mentors also. So they've got more experience in ministry and I go to them where they have expertise and I don't. 
Um, so I have people in front of me and beside me. It's the people following, I think, that most most folks struggle with more than anything. Because they'll say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll go try to get a, you know, a spiritual director or somebody else. But even in a spiritual director relationship, sometimes it can be kind of distant. And I've had the same spiritual director for about 12 years. Um, this person knows my soul inside and out. We sit down and we get to business and I'm held accountable to mission and to prayer and to just being a decent human being, <laughs> you yeah. know, where I'm struggling with that stuff. Right. Um, that's that's what it's about. In the same way, that's kind of what it means to lead somebody else. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all the experience. You don't have to have all the knowledge. You just got to be a couple of steps in front of somebody else to show them the way. OK, so think of it like a spiritual guide in the wilderness. You may not know the exact layout of every place you go because it's the wilderness. But, you know, kind of the lay of the land and that landmark over there. I remember that place. And I've seen, you know, this particular animal encounter at this particular area. You know, those are yeah. the kind of things where kind of, it's principles, it's understanding. And I don't have all the answers, but let me lead you with the experience I do have. Sure. And, and we got to get to a point where we're saying, you know what? There are folks that need to you know, be evangelized, but there are also people that need more mentors. And we just have had a glut of mentors in the church who understand how to actually do this because nobody did it with them. And this is the catch 22. The catch 22 is, OK, we've got a whole lot of pastors, whether that's bishops or priests who and a whole lot of religious and a whole lot of lay leaders who have gone through a lot of formation in seminary or grad school or even in a kind of professional development capacity where they still don't know how to evangelize properly and they still don't know how to build up the disciples. They, let me let me just say what they do know how to do. They know how to give us the sacraments. They know how to mm -hmm. counsel pastorally. They know how to counsel and, and give advice and, and confession. They know how to help a married couple go through a process to, to you know, be engaged and then get married. They know how to handle or are learning how to handle finances and administration sure. of a parish and other things, right? The, the problem is we've kind of all these practical have to do's have been built up to become the priority over actually making disciples, which is the mission of the church. Um, because the the maintenance of the institution yeah. is such a big bear. And if you've never worked in it, folks, you don't know. But it, the person who steps into a position at a parish, whether that's a secretary, a DRE, a youth minister or a priest, is handed on about 90 to 99 percent of a workload just handed to them the second they walk in the door. Very few people get to choose the way to use their time appropriately in a pastoral context. And we got to change that. Um, and we got to change how we form priests, how we free them up to do good pastoral ministry so they can be creative and have more time with people and relationships and things. But that takes rethinking structures and institutions. And there are those of us behind the scenes who are working with people to do this stuff, but it's a big bear. And let's not, so we have to call things as we see them. And, and again, it's, it's a difficult and big issue. There's no quick fix either. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. And I, I think there is a misconception there of all of that, of, you know, we, we're selfish beings. Why doesn't father spend more time with me? Why isn't father, you know, preaching on this certain thing? Why isn't father spending more time over there? And if you're mm -hmm. around a lot of priests, you know, it's because I'm balancing the budget and I'm trying this and I'm doing that and I, I'm hiring people for the school. If there's one attached to my 
you know, to my parish and all of those different things. I think you make a great point. You know, I want to ask you two more questions before we come to a close here, really. One of them is, what characteristics should a person seek to learn before evangelization? So in your book, you talk really about four um, in mm-hmm. vulnerability and some other ones. I want you to speak to that for a second. And then I want to talk a little bit about, you know, evangelizing those that are evangelizing those that are closest to us, because I think that's where a lot of people are really struggling right now. Yeah, I don't think that necessarily. First of all, character building is absolutely necessary to being a good evangelist, but that doesn't Mm -hmm. stop anywhere, right? I mean, until we die, our character needs to be built. And and that goes with the virtues that we need to be growing in and especially the vices we need to kick out of our lives. So if you, and I will be bold here in saying, if if you have a a deep-seated issue, whether that's sexual issue, and I've worked with a lot of sex addicts uh, through the years, or if you have anger issue or whatever that might be, guys, go deal with that because that's going to take away your effectiveness as a disciple and evangelist, as a father, as a husband, as a son, as a brother, right? I mean, yeah. you, you got you to gotta take care of those things. Get them out of your life, whatever it takes, whatever yeah. it takes, Amen. whatever. I don't care if your device has to go away. I don't care if your time and your calendar have to change. I don't care if you have to quit your job. I don't care if you have to start over. Going to heaven is more important, folks. So yeah. the fact of the matter is, take care of take care of your own soul, okay, and your and build that character. Uh, most men probably watching this um, have some virtues that they need to work on. So work on those virtues. But in, while you're doing that, don't wait to evangelize. Okay, that's my first thing I want to tell people. If you are a disciple, the second you step into the relationship with Jesus Christ is the second you take on the mission of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. So, I mean, I remember right after my conversion, I had a big conversion in college, changed. I came back, and that night that I had my, you know, I'd come back from this retreat, I'd had this conversion on. That night I came back from the retreat, I was sitting on a grassy knoll on the campus of Texas A&M, and I was talking about Jesus with somebody I'd never talked about Jesus before. Hmm. I mean, it, it just flew out of me, and I didn't know what I was doing, and I was probably really ineffective, and that's okay. That's okay. Just start somewhere. Now, yeah, you want to learn how to do things. And to be a good evangelist, some of the traits you're going to have to do is you're going to have to learn how to model vulnerability, okay? Mm-hmm. To be vulnerable with other people. Now, vulnerability is not mean I'm going to go give you my confession, okay? Sure. You don't need to have all the gory details. This is not counseling. This is not a 12-step program. This is not something like that. This is, let me just tell you a little bit about myself and let you in a little bit more, right? And it's so what we could call appropriate vulnerability. And you have to lead with vulnerability because most men especially don't know how to be properly and appropriately vulnerable. So once we're vulnerable, then we can start to build some trust, right? Because trust comes from somebody else being vulnerable and saying, okay, I can trust this guy. He's letting me in a little bit. Once you get a little bit of trust, then you can start to build some intimacy, and then once, and again, it's appropriate intimacy. This is not, I'm going to tell you everything that happens, you know, with, in my conversations with my wife or what's going on or whatever else, right? And from there, from vulnerability to trust to intimacy, then we can have accountability and we yeah. can be accountable to each other. And, and discipleship needs uh, appropriate accountability where we walk. And, and here, here's what it looks like. It's, hey, John, I'm struggling with, you know, making sure that I get, a good half an hour of my personal prayer in, would you help hold me accountable to that? And you'll say, sure. Okay, every day at 6 p.m., 
I'm going to text you and say, did you get your prayer in? And if you hadn't, you're going to do it. Now, notice I set the goal for myself. Sure. So, And I'm asking you to hold me accountable. It's not John coming in and saying, "You, why aren't you praying 30 minutes a day? You suck. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's what that looks like. Yeah. 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 Well, that's awesome. Cause I think I couldn't agree with you more. And that's what we've seen in, in, in just the, in the men's ministry stuff I've been doing is that's the process that works. And that's what men are really looking for. I think so many mm -hmm. men have just there, you know, our age and, and older have been, you know, sons of fathers in, in a lot of cases that are put your head down, never complain, do all this yourself. Don't have emotions. Don't, if you do, you're not a man. And that vulnerability really opens up some of that. And you start to understand that, like that's 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 the world's definition of what it means to be a man. It's not God's, right? It's yeah. to be to model the image of Jesus. So I think that helps a lot there. The last thing is just so many people are struggling with people that are close to them, um, and they want so badly. I have one in my family. I won't mention it on here who it is, but uh, they struggle, and I want to help them so much. And here I am in a ministry and evangelizing and speaking all over the place, and and I just. I'm like, why can't, you know, why can't I, I reach them? And a lot of it is probably because we don't have a, as close of a relationship as we should. But I know there's a lot of people out here that have written in and go, I've got a father, I've got a cousin, i got a, you know, whatever it is. How do I start? What do I do? So yeah. could you give us some insight into that? Yeah, and I, I'll tell you, first of all, there's no quick fix and there's no easy way to do this. You do A, B, C, D, E. And if anybody ever tries to sell you that, do not buy their product because they're lying. Right. Yeah. The fact of the matter is that because we are human beings with free will, the choice is in the hands of the other person and only in their hands. And God respects mm -hmm. their free will so much that he would let them choose to choose not God for eternity. That's how much he respects it. Mm -hmm. And if we're followers of this God that does that, we should do the same thing. Now, with that being said, God is doing everything in his heart because he loves them more than we ever could. He's doing everything he can by giving them opportunities for grace, giving them people in their lives and maybe us. So we should do everything we can, but we don't want to, again, it's a matter of being prudent about evangelizing somebody. It's a prudent about building the relationship. And here's, here's the one thing I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to do. You're going to have to initiate hmm. gentlemen right now, the world waits for people to initiate. Uh, I remember years ago, I was thinking about my friends and how rarely they reach out to me. Um, but then I realized how rarely I reach out to them. Amen. <laughs> and I was saying, I long for deeper relationships with men who are like me, but we're all, this was at a stage where we all had little kids. We're all very busy. We're trying to build a career. We got our wives. We're focused on this and this and this and this, right? Sure. And you look around and go, I need deep friendships, but it, we don't even have so, but the problem was nobody's initiating. And I stopped feeling sorry for myself and just decided I'm going to start initiating. And if we get some little response back, that's where I'm going with that guy. Right. Okay. So mm -hmm. it kind of helped me discern because I had a little bit bigger and then I kind of narrowed down to, well, this guy's actually trying and responding yeah. a little bit more, you know, fact of the matter is the world waits for, for Christians to initiate and men especially are terrible at this. We don't know even how to have good relationships, much less deep friendships with somebody else Amen. on a spiritual basis. Um, we don't know how to hold each other accountable because we get together in a small group every week once for an hour a week, but we don't have a relationship outside of that group because we just do it at church. Look, stop, stop it then. Stop complaining. I'm going to tell you right now, my best buddy, who is my best friend in this world right now, he has a 
and, and I don't think he'd be mad at me for saying this, but he has a struggle actually with expressing his emotions to people, but I didn't let him off the hook. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, cut the crap. Tell me what's really going on. And he'll tell me things that he won't tell anybody else in the world. Um, he'll share with me. And then I'll say, you need to go share that with your wife too. You know, I'll hold him accountable, right? Sure. I'll say, this is something you ought to do because we've got decades into this relationship now. Um, and the walls can come crumbling down in somebody's heart when you really invest in somebody. Look, the fact of the matter is go initiate with people. And, and in your initiation with people, start with prayer, deep, abiding prayer that might last years, decades, a lifetime. Um, folks, everybody's conversion that God longs for and that you long for is on somebody else's timetable, not yours. Your job is to do what God asks of you. And then to do so faithfully and to be persevering in that mission and not just to look for the results that you're asking for, because God's the one who's going to ultimately be the one that moves the heart. So go do what you need to do and continue to do it and initiate and persevere in your prayer and in your, your action and then leave the rest into God's hands. Because the hoped for outcome, which is salvation, God wants it more than you do. And, and if if then we got nothing to worry about if that's the case, right? We can only do what we can do. Leave the rest Amen. in his hands. Amen. Marcel, this has been amazing, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. You, you're just a wealth of knowledge on this. This is what you've been doing with your life. And I'm so glad that you took time today to share it with us. I, I want to give you a second to tell people again where they can follow what you're doing, where they can support you, all of that. Yeah, go to CatholicMissionaryDisciples.com. Hey, we're nonprofit too. You can drop us some money if you want. But really look out for, uh, yeah, read the blog. We got a blog on there with all kinds of practical stuff. And, and we've got this video resource, which is launching October 1st. Um, if it's past October 1st, when this video comes out, you'll it find be. it pretty, you know, right up front. If not, you can go join our uh, email newsletter and you'll get that information that way if it's beforehand. Look, it, I'm excited about this resource. It's going to help people evangelize better. And that's what we need right now. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being here, guys. If you are a member of the Just a Guy in the Pew community, we're going to go over and take a few minutes and talk about something just for you. If you're not a member of the community, you can become a member by going to justaguyinthepew.com. Click that uh, community button. You can join there. You'll get the narrow road every month and all the other things we're doing in the ministry. But again, Marcel, thank you so much for being here. And I, I can't wait to uh, have these extra few minutes with you in the next interview. Absolutely. God bless those who won't be joining us. All right. God bless, Marcel.